Together now to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. We can read from verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honour preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. But especially looking at um, the words that we find in verse 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now it's uh, obvious, I think, from reading the text that the three terms specified in it are applicable to every area of the Christian's life. That every area of the Christian's life, not only in uh, specifically spiritual matters, that's in terms of our devotions and our worship and so on, but even in terms of our uh, life in the world, of our work, of whatever it is that we do, that these terms are actually applicable uh, to the overall life that a Christian must exercise. And yet we also have to realize that Paul is being somewhat more narrow than that in this context. What he has been dealing with is how the various uh, relations within the church as the body of Christ are what they are by virtue of God's distribution in his wisdom of various faculties and gifts and ministries to various individuals that harmoniously work together so that his body, his church, functions as he would have it to be. That is what he's been saying in verses 4 and 5 especially. He's laying out there the principle that he wants them to see, uh, to apply in terms of its working out. It is, he says here, that uh, we're not, in verse 3 he says, uh, to think of ourselves, any one of us, more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. There is a measure of spiritual ability that God gives to each of his people in his own wisdom. For as we have many members in one body, and all the members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Everyone must see that we fit in with the other whatever different uh, works God has given us to do. Then he goes on to elaborate on that in the application of that principle where he says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. And he then goes into the various specific points in which that grace given to us is to be applied depending what kind of ministry God has given to his people. And in the midst of that we come to verse 11. Because these terms, um, in verse 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13 especially, are in especially the ways that 
we are to relate to one another within the body of Christ. There is much that is uh, spoken of later and before this as we are to face the world, as we are to seek to present something to the world. Bless them who persecute you, bless and curse not. Recompense to no man, evil for evil. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him, and so on. There's so much there in terms of what we must be to those who are even our enemies. But it's now to those who are our brethren, our fellow children of God, that he gives these verses some space to set out what we must be in those things. And one of them is this, that we must not be slothful in business, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And while these uh, words are related to the other verses, they are also related in uh, uh, the three parts of the verse, are related to each other, just as you find in verse 12, these three parts are related to each other. For example, here in verse 11, we have, first of all, a negative emphasis that we are not to be slothful in business. And then the next part is the counter to that, the, the positive counterpart to that. Instead of that, he's saying, we are to be fervent in spirit. And then the two uh, are balanced out by emphasizing that we are to always be conscious that we are serving the Lord. And so we want to give uh, some time this evening to look at these three related emphases in this text as they belong especially to the body of Christ and its functions, to, in the functions that exist within it as believers one with another engaged together in serving the Lord. We are, first of all, he says, not to be slothful in business. Now, what does he mean by this business? What is this business? What is this word that he's using here? What is it applicable to? Well, if you cast your mind back to uh, verse 8, you can see the same word actually used there, but in fact, it's translated differently. It's translated there with the word diligence. He that ruleth with diligence. But in the original Greek language, it's the same uh, word exactly that you find in verse 11 here. Not slothful in business, not slothful in terms of diligence. And it means literally um, something that is done with haste. It has the idea of speediness or haste or something that's done quickly in it. Not with the emphasis on carelessness but with the emphasis on it being done, as you would say, in a business-like fashion. And that, I think, is why the authorized version translators went for the word business. You could say that what he is really countering here is the whole idea of our being slothful. He is countering in such a way as to make us think of the Christian life and our relations within the church of God and whatever God has given us to do that we are to set about it in a business-like fashion. That it is something to which we need to apply ourselves 
after a business-like fashion. We are not to be slothful in business. We are to be business-like. Now when you use the term slothful, in the Bible's definition of a Christian, you always find that the word slothful is contradictory to the terms that describe the Christian life. To actually have the phrase, a slothful Christian, a Christian who is lazy, who lounges about, is a contradiction in itself. And it is that that the Apostle is countering, that our minds would never ever entertain the thought that a Christian can be in any way slothful in the matter of living the kind of life and the kind of office, the kind of function, the kind of work that is given to us to do. He is countering the whole idea of slothful Christianity, of slothfulness in witness to Christ, of slothfulness in whatever we are in relation to each other as the church, the body of Christ. There is never to be about it the semblance of slothfulness. And that is something which, as the Apostle here, of course, is applying to the Romans, that you and I need frequently to apply to ourselves. Why is that? Why is the Apostle here, why is he making it his business, if you like, to say such a thing to these Roman Christians that he commends in other parts of the Epistle for uh, very much? Um, many of the things that he finds true of them. Well, we need to have this applied to ourselves because the matter of what follows this fervency of spirit and this matter of applying ourselves to be businesslike in the things of God is not something that comes naturally to us. We tend to forget sometimes that just because we have been converted and because the Spirit of the Lord inhabits the heart of the believer, we tend to forget our need to be stirred up, to stir ourselves up, to look upon the things of serving the Lord as things which we must go about in a business-like fashion. Our work in the world is much more natural to us than our service for the Lord. Our being businesslike about our ways in the world is something that we are far more prone to doing effectively and businesslike than we are in the things of the church, in the things of serving Christ, in our relations one with another, in our fellowship as the body of Christ, in all the various ways in which we must function. It does not come naturally to us. Our own heart is not naturally given to our being other than slothful in the things that are spiritual and in our relation to Christ. And we must never lose sight of the fact that just because we are Christians does not mean that our own heart now ceases to be against us. Our own heart will always contain an enmity to the interests of Christ. Our own heart will always contain something that will be counter to being businesslike in the things of God. 
our own heart will always be something that we must seek to overcome in order to be what we should be in the Christian life and that is why it's necessary for the apostle to remind the Romans that's why it's such a term as we have in the scriptures coming to ourselves this evening and why it is necessary for us because it is not natural for ourselves in the service of the Lord to be businesslike. And so that leads, means secondly that this is very necessary for us. That it is necessary for us to apply this kind of principle to the Christian life. That it is to be a matter of being businesslike and organized and disciplined. Now we might think, in fact we do think, don't we? Most Christians at least when we come first of all to know the Lord and have a spiritual glow about us as it were, we set out into life then thinking that this new life that we have come into is always going to carry us on in the service of the Lord. That it is something that's going to flow out of us unhindered. That even thinking of such things at that stage of our spiritual experience of being businesslike, of being disciplined, of being uh, in this particular emphasis applying that to the service of the Lord, we might think in that well, that's only going to spoil things for us. That's only going to stifle my energies. Business-like in the things of God. Who needs to be business-like? I'm always going to be like this. This may be what we think. But you soon learn, don't you? That it is not like that. The warm glow of spiritual youth soon finds that our energies in the service of the Lord soon give way before temptations. That our glow soon loses much of its luster in the face of discouragements and disappointments. That we soon find ourselves giving way to the wiles of the devil and our own heart. We learn pretty soon that there are times that come upon us when things that we once found stirring to our souls now hardly move us inwardly. When in our spiritual youth to hear of the wonder of Christ's love or the depth of his sufferings or to hear of the sinfulness of sin would almost immediately raise up our hearts into a kind of fervency of spirit that we're speaking of here. It would bring about a reaction in us. But then we learn there are times when even these things hardly fail, hardly register at all in a manner that moves us inwardly. We can hear and read of the love of Christ and our eyes weep at how little it moves us. We can read and feel of the depth of sin and yet there is so little urgency to go to the Lord with it that we might meet again with his grace 
and his embrace in his saving mercy. Oh, our heart promises us so much. But we soon learn that you cannot believe his promise. Our spiritual youth fills us with optimism. But soon that wanes and we find that there are things in this world, in our own hearts, and in the ways of Satan that bind us up and bring us to be so cold we are amazed that our soul could become so dull we would never have believed that such a thing could be true of us when we first came to know the Lord. Well, these are the kind of things that lie behind the necessity of being businesslike in the things of God. Do not, he says, in the way of an imperative, become slothful in business. Do not lose that businesslike approach to the things of God. Sometimes they are very necessary. All and well if things flow out of our hearts without taking the time and having the necessity of applying ourselves in a disciplined and business-like way in the going about of these things. But if that is not the case, then we have to learn that business-like is necessary in spiritual things. We mustn't think of these things where our heart is prone to coldness, to being unmoved or little moved. We mustn't make these things as if they were discouragements to us. We must think of them rather as the Lord teaching us of the need to become more and more disciplined and businesslike in the things of serving himself. Of course there's such a thing as being businesslike without our heart being in it. Of course there's such a thing as being legalistic in these matters that we can never have everything set out businesslike and in a formal fashion with little or nothing of a heart and of a fervency in it. But when we need to apply a businesslike mind in order that these things of the Lord and of serving the Lord will be things in which we engage meaningfully and as fully as we can, then it is to our advantage to be businesslike. It is to our advantage to apply ourselves in an orderly fashion to those things. You are not, he says, to be slothful in business. You are to be businesslike in the things of God. Isn't that indeed what you find elsewhere frequently in the scriptures? That we apply ourselves diligently to all that is necessary in the church of Christ in the individual Christian's life. Peter has the same emphasis, remember in his second epistle, where he, there in the first, uh, very first chapter of the second epistle, where he emphasizes the need for that business-like approach to the things of God. Of course he recognizes the difficulties, the dangers that are along with that, if there is no spiritual heart in it. But you notice what he says. Having given us these things, he says, according as God has given by his divine power this knowledge, uh, the things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, 
But he says, beside this, along with this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the counter to being slothful. Being slothful is being largely barren in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. For he says, So an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Where he mentions there that we are to give diligence to make our calling and election sure. And so that means that when you and I don't feel like doing the things we know the Lord has commanded us to do, sometimes we must be as the psalmist in Psalm 103, and we must talk vigorously to ourselves, to our soul, to be stirred up, so that we can even force ourselves, if need be, into the way of our duty. We don't always feel like praying for however long it is we need to pray. We don't always feel like coming to the prayer meeting or coming to the services of God's house. We don't always feel like witnessing to the world about us. We don't always feel like seeking opportunities and using the opportunities God gives us to bring Christ before perishing souls. There are times when we need to be businesslike with our own souls so that we apply these principles that the Apostle is setting out for us here even to force ourselves into it because it will never be to our disadvantage when we go on our knees and we confess to the Lord that we don't at that time feel drawn burden for prayer, for communion with himself or, or himself or whatever it is. When we bring before the Lord the fact that we have been to church and we have felt so little attached to our soul of the wondrous truth of his word affecting us, moving us, yet we bring ourselves in before the Lord and we wait in his presence and we would apply ourselves to the way of our duty until he come to bless us. Not slothful in business, being businesslike, being disciplined, being regular in all our devotions. That principle applies. Whatever we feel like, whatever discouragements we've met, this is what we are called upon to be and to do. Never to be slothful, but rather, secondly, fervent in spirit. Now that follows on, we said already. It's the counterpart to the first uh, part of the verse that we've just looked at. Not slothful in business, but rather being fervent in spirit. And being fervent really literally again the meaning of the word is something like 
happens to, to water or some liquid when it's boiling and boiling over. Being fed when just reaching boiling point and then flowing over. <coughs> but then there is a fervency of the wrong kind and there's this fervency that's biblical. There's a fervency that is no help to biblical Christianity. There's a fervency that is no friend to biblical Christianity. There's a fervency that is really at the bottom of it, a serving and a seeking of self. The kind of fervency that majors on emotional highs. This fervency is a fervency that's designed to kill off the wrong kind of fervency. A fervency that's designed to sanctify this wrong kind of fervency where there is that central emphasis on emotion itself where self is really at the bottom of it. This fervency is a fervency that seeks to be honouring to God, to uplift the Lord, to live by the joy of being in Christ that knows that his word and his spirit controls our believing souls. Not slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, by which he means, I think, primarily as it's translated here with a small s, as it's spelt here with a small s, our own spirits. But of course, it could also be taken as fervent in the spirit of the Lord, because we are ultimately dependent on the Spirit of the Lord. Now we are not to be afraid of fervency. Just because there's a wrong kind of fervency, and just because we ourselves, perhaps by our way of background, most of us at least, are not given to show much emotion in spiritual things, we must avoid going to extremes on both sides of the issue. We must never be afraid of fervency. We must be afraid of the lack of fervency. And I'm sure to every one of us this evening, what the Apostle is saying is a very great challenge. I know it is to me as I seek to preach to you, that one of the things that I find frequently in my own life, as I'm sure you are saying of yours, that fervency of spirit is something that is so sadly lacking compared to the kind of thing that you'll read about in the scripture as that which a Christian ought to cultivate and seek to be. The fervency of spirit by which in serving the Lord we would go about it briskly and fervently with the right kind of emotion with that stirred up heart that recognizes something of the privilege that is given us to be servants of Christ. You remember the Apostle Paul himself. Take himself as an example of the wrong kind of fervency and then of the right kind. There he was. One of the things you could never say about him was that he lacked Fervency. Look at him as he goes about what he regards as his business as an unconverted man, persecuting the church of Christ 
causing them to be put to death, some of them to be imprisoned, others. He is so fervent, boiling over. But it's a fierceness of fervency. It's a hot-headed fervency. It's a fervency even that could be in some way from a striving for something that he's not quite getting to. A fervency that's born of a bad conscience. But then he comes to meet the Lord. And he comes to enter into the service of Christ. And it is in that service not in the least bit below the energy that he had as an unconverted man. If anything, it's even more in the service of the Lord. But notice his fervency. When you read his writings as a Christian man, as an apostle, it's a fervency that's filled with peace. It's a fervency that's tied to faith working through love. It's a fervency that is controlled by the Spirit of God and by his obedience to Christ. It's a fervency that comes under the principle that for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. You can never say that he's not fervent, that he's not boiling over, but what a different fervency he now has to the fervency he once had. He's now fervent in spirit. As he calls upon the Romans to be fervent in spirit. You and I must see that lack of fervency is in fact grievous to Christ. Being slothful in business and unfervent in spirit is grievous to Christ. We can be orthodox to dot the, the I's and cross the T's of our theology and still lack fervency in spirit. And even if we are that orthodox in our theology and lack that fervency of spirit, we are in a position where we are grieving the spirit of the Lord. We are grievous to Christ himself. Take that church in Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14 following. There was a church that was not found wanting in terms of orthodoxy. There was a church that could say they had biblical teaching in its theology. There was a church that could say, well whatever else we have we're not called. But then the Lord said to them, Neither are you fervent. You are lukewarm. And he makes it very plain from that passage that's written to the church in Laodicea that lukewarmness to Jesus is nauseating. That lukewarmness to our Lord, the head of the church, is something that he finds not just offensive, but that leads him to say, because thou art lukewarm and not hot or cold, I am about to spew you out of my mouth. Lukewarmness 
the lack of servants it is in fact more offensive to the Lord than to be out and out cold I would he said thou wert hot or cold but thou art lukewarm therefore I will spew you out of my mouth fervent in spirit warm in our service of the Lord and our devotions lukewarmness is a terrible thing in the opinion of Christ you find the average Jehovah's Witness or Mormon or New Ager that comes to your door whatever it is and you will find that whatever else they are they are not lacking in fervency in zeal how much more should it be for the children of the living God who know through Jesus Christ God as their father who have the advantages that Peter was talking about when we have been brought into the promises that have been made ours in Christ Jesus to be made partaker of the divine nature oh how much more then should you and I be given to fervency of spirit to seek more and more of that warmness in our souls that truly sets out what it means to be a Christian as one writer put it I think it was Thomas Watson in his book on the godly man's picture when he said what something like uh, what a terrible thing it is to be warm-hearted and live in sin and to be cold when we're engaged in prayer by which he meant the zeal of the Christian the warm-heartedness of the Christian is to be something that burns in favor of righteousness and spiritual devotions and all that we must be within the body of Christ in our relations one to another this fervency of spirit applies to every single thing that's outlined there in terms of our distributed necessity of saints our being given to hospitality our being kindly affectioned one to another with love in honor preferring one another and so on we are not to do it slothfully but businesslike and we are to be fervent in spirit in it isn't that how we find our Lord himself didn't he say about his own life in this world as we've been seeing at the prayer meeting recently when he said to the disciples when they came to the well of Sychar where he had been speaking to the woman in John 4 I have meat to eat that you know not of. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Oh, what fervency the Lord showed in the application of himself to the work given him to do, the difficulty work, the difficult work that was given him to do, with what fervency he applied himself to it when he said I have a baptism to be baptized with and how am I straightened can it be accomplished what fervency he showed at 12 years of age when he laid down a principle that every child of God can claim as his and her own 
at whatever stage of life they can use it and say this is my norm this is what I must see as normative in the life of a Christian you remember when his mother Mary and Joseph questioned him having found him disputing with the doctors of the law and so on wist ye not and I must be about my father's business it was a business to him and he went about it in a business-like fashion not that there was ever any occasion of course when he needed to stir up a heart that was cold his never was and yet he is the supreme model of being fervent in spirit fervent in prayer fervent in preaching fervent in hearing God's will fervent in waiting upon his God his father not slothful in business fervent in spirit and then he says serving the Lord now that is both an antidote to the first one and a stimulus to the second it's something that is an antidote to slothfulness in the reminder to us that we are always serving the Lord discouragement sometimes can lead us to have that slip from the forefront of our minds when we think that our service is primarily a service to men we must think of everything to the very money that we put in the plate every Lord's day as given not even to the church but to him who is our great head and if we let that slip from our minds that it is the Lord that we are serving then in some way or other we are going to slip back from the quality of life that he expects of us demands of us and has every right to have from us serving the Lord is much found in the New Testament and it's found in terms of fervency of spirit as well for example Ephesians 6 and verse 5 in terms of our relation even to our employers servants he says be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ you see the ultimate even there is to think of ourselves as serving the Lord not with eye service as men pleasers but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth the same shall he receive of the Lord whether he be bond or free it is always to be serving the Lord that is our ultimate direction in our work but not only so but for the apostle serving the Lord is something that he is not only doing fervently but also something he can never get enough of serving the Lord for the apostle is something he can never truly get enough of you remember how he concluded 
that wonderful chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 that deals almost entirely with the subject of the resurrection. How does he finish it? Verse 4 he says, My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your service, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. See what he's saying. Be ye steadfast, unmovable. Not only in the work of the Lord, but always abounding in the work of the Lord. This man is not content to do a little, but to do it fervently. He is seeking to do as much as he possibly can. And to have fervency characterize everything he does. What about you and I tonight? Where does that leave ourselves? What are we doing for the Lord? How much do we anticipate doing for the Lord? Of course, the Christian life is not all about doing. We're well aware of the fact that you can emphasize doing to the neglect of other things. What we must be is as important, if not more so, than what we are doing. You can never separate the two from the, uh, the one from the other. But that doesn't mean that doing is not really all that significant. How much are we doing for the Lord tonight? We read in Psalm 103 that we sang together of the angels in heaven. And how they are described there as the ministers of the Lord. How they are called to, by the psalmist, to bless the Lord, ye ministers of his, ye hosts, that do his will, that do his pleasure. Angels in heaven are always going about in a business-like way in their service of the Lord. And isn't that how it is in heaven itself? Don't we read in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 3 where Revelation there pictures the end of all things, the consummation of all things, that final glorious heaven of God's people, the new Jerusalem having come down and God dwelling in the midst of his people with his name in their foreheads. What does he say? His servants shall serve him. It is one element of the blessedness of heaven that it is a place of perfect service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we look and hope for serving God in heaven and be content in this world to do as little for him as we can? Shall we expect an eternity of serving the Lord and yet not be too concerned to serve him fervently and to abound in his service in this world, or oh, surely not. Surely it will be the other side of the issue. Our Father's business will mean that we cannot do enough for our Lord who gave himself for us. All this, he says, I have done for you. What hast thou done on me. There were 
one time four ministers in the USA who met together to discuss various translations of the Bible and each of them began to speak of their favorite translation of the Bible and why they regarded it as the most fitting translation. One of them said, well I prefer the authorized version, it's the most literal rendering of the original text I think is the best translation. Another one said, the second one then said this other translation and so on until the fourth one said my preference has always been, he said, for my mother's translation. And one of them said to him, your mother, your mother has translated the Bible? And he said, yes. She translated it from the time I was a little boy. She translated it into her life. And I have never read a more convincing there is no atheist tonight can do more against the cause of Christ than a Christian who is slothful in business. Let us be doers of the word and not here. We thank thee for the privilege of serving thee as our Lord. We pray for thy forgiveness, O Lord, for the many failures of our service. We pray for thy forgiveness for that which we know is true of our hearts at many times. We pray for thy forgiveness to meet the demands that thou dost rightly make of us. 